All right, so kind of a, a crazy week. Um, not so much at the Wells household. I don't have any Wells girls illustrations this, this morning. Um, so I didn't watch it, but it was, it was all over the news this week, right? You want to mimic it? No. Nope. <laughs> you can stay right there. Just stay there. Because <laughs> that'll make everything so awkward. Right? <laughs> and that's, that's, what I, that's what I was, that was where I was going, is the awkwardness. You know, you have this whole night that's uh, about celebration and the recognition of art and acting and directing and... Um, sound editing all this sort of things that goes into a good movie and you have this really awkward thing where will smith slaps this guy across the face and um i you know when those things happen is you sort of you know some people look down at the floor some people um i think get really dramatic by the way they respond we all do things to try to mitigate the the awkward feeling in the room like oh, we're gonna look around who's gonna do something and uh, help calm all this awkwardness that's going on. Um, and I've seen that before at, the, um, at those award shows. I remember way, way back, uh, U2 got some Grammy. This would have been at the, at the Grammys, and they dropped an F-bomb right there. That's rock and roll, so probably people, maybe it wasn't so awkward, but there was, there was one where um, the comedian was up there, and they were referring to the lady that uh, played Raymond's mother. Everybody loves Raymond. Oh, and not Betty White. Not Betty White, no. But um, I can't remember her name, but referred to her, to her as older than dirt. And you could tell, that, you know, it pans to this woman, and you could just tell that it was not a fun <laughs> moment. And I remember sitting through a number of those. I, didn't wa I haven't watched them in a while, but just like, gosh, I don't, I don't think that was... Uh, let's just celebrate. Can we just, you know, just just celebrate all that's going on. Let's not fill it with uh, bad jokes. But uh, anyway, it went over, and unfortunately, that's mostly what people are talking about. People won awards, and, uh, you know, who knows what the other awards were uh, because that sort of dominated the air. Um, but we have an awkward, we have an awkward moment this morning. Uh, not at the church, maybe not, hopefully not, but uh, in our story... Uh, we have that. We have this dinner party that's a celebration. And uh, it gets weird. It gets awkward. And what's interesting is Jesus is able to see right through this situation and see the heart of what's going on and the heart of, of uh, the people involved and, uh, and to call that out um, and see it, and uh, see it for what it is. And what we have is this beautiful um, dinner party that gets awkward for all the right reasons, not all for the wrong reasons. Uh, but we're going to look at that uh, this morning. And the question I think that it brings up is, what, is, what does devotion really look like? Um, how does it make people feel when we have, we see instances of devotion that make us feel uncomfortable or worship, this worship with abandon um, that is so over the top um, that it makes us feel uncomfortable? How do we respond? Um, <clears throat> and it's one of those stories where we can ask ourselves, who do we associate with in this story? Who do we, who are we in this story? Um, 
And again, there's no, there's no teaching here as far as what Jesus is doing. There's just a story. And I love those because we can put ourselves in the story and try to feel what's going on. Um, so John, we're, we're reading uh, John 12, 1 to 8 uh, this morning. We're in the fifth Sunday of Lent. And this is a, a very important chapter in the book. And these books are works of art. They're like movies. These movies, these books are like movies. There's scenes, there's characters, there's plot, there's twists to the plot. There's all these things. We, we, we tend to read them like we're watching the news, like it's reporting facts. It's not written that way. In fact, John says, I have written these things so that you may believe. John has a, he has an agenda. And that is belief and leading us to belief. And these stories are very artfully put together. And what we have here in John chapter 12 is a transition. And we're moving into Passion Week, right? John 13 and the washing of the disciples' feet, that's next week. Um, and uh, we, so everything's kind of wrapping up in John chapter 12. And Jesus' popularity is a bit over the top because in John 11, what happens in John 11? Something real big. Lazarus. Lazarus is raised, yeah. So Jesus is popular now. And so with this growing popularity, and, and soon, as if you were to continue reading John, I'm not sure where our reading goes next week, but if you were to continue reading in John, you have the triumphal entry. Everyone's screaming for Jesus, you know. Uh, Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, just praising him as a descendant of David, as a king marching into the city. Um, and so there's lots and lots of popularity. And at the same time, because of the raising of Lazarus, there's a lot more people jumping on board the Jesus train at this point, And the authorities are ramping up their, uh, surveillance. their surveillance and their desire to uh, do away with Jesus. In fact, they, there's this conversation uh, that says, we, we got to take him out. Uh, we got to take Jesus out. We got to eliminate him. He is a threat. Um, and, it, and there's this whole speech about, you know, one person should, should die for the nation. They're thinking that if we get rid of Jason, uh, not Jason, not Jason, uh, Jesus, if we get rid of Jesus, then uh, that will help our nation. And they're saying if, if one person dies, it's, it's better for everyone else, um, which is interesting because later on, after this, they say, you know what, we got to get Lazarus too. We got to get Lazarus too. And that's the way the system works. There's always one more. It always ramps up. This isn't just one person. Now we need to get two people because Lazarus and his raising is dangerous as well. People are going. So you have this, um, these two forces are beginning to collide. And, um, and so we have this passage, which I love. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, this is John 12, verses, mine says verse 12, but it's not 12, it's verse 1, 12, 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany. So right there, even right there, there's three different Passovers in the book of John. And so when we hear about the Passover, if you're reading this book, if you're watching this movie in one sitting, you're going to remember chapter one, where his cousin John says, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And that makes us think about Passover, because that's what Passover is celebrating. The deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt, the sacrificial lamb. And so already in this movie, we get this other 
you know, the, the narrator is tipping their hat towards what's going to happen in the coming weeks. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. This is after the raising of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. So uh, Bethany um, in Hebrew means house of the poor, <clears throat> which will come into play here in this story. Uh, the man he raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. So here we are with the awards celebration. Jesus gets the one award, right? And um, they, they have this dinner and everyone's excited, and there's this, uh, and his popularity is growing. We saw that in the last chapter. Many people believed, and there is this momentum. There's this momentum. I, I think I mentioned this last week, but I was down in Portland with Matt Penny a couple Fridays ago, and I was like, wow, this is, you could feel it in Portland on a Friday night. You could feel people out there walking around. There's an energy on Friday night. Uh, for some, some just zonk out and go to bed, but there's, there's an energy. I always liked Fridays the best. It was just like ramping up for the weekend and no work the next day. And you get that feeling in this dinner. They're, they're, they're coming together. They're celebrating. Lazarus was dead, and now he's alive. And I think in that story, it does say he's hungry. So now they're having a big, uh, they're having a big meal. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Pretty interesting. <laughs> Considering the Martha Mary story is in the book of Luke. And it all is about who is serving and who is worshiping. And here we see that same dynamic at play. Martha is serving, which means she's probably in the other room and uh, behind the scenes. In fact, I think she is behind the scenes because that's the only time we hear about her. Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. Uh, that one sentence, there's so much going on here, it's almost... Too much to unpack. First of all, it's a 12-ounce jar. That's a regular size can of Coke, beer bottle, you know, water. You know, that's, all, that's a big thing of perfume. And it's nard. Nard um, would be crushed up. It would have a reddish color. It was imported from India. And that one jar is a year's worth of savings. Wow. A year. Right, so this is a, depending on, I was reading this commentary and they're like, you know, suppose the minimum wage is $5. And I was like, oh, I can't imagine that. Uh, so this is a $40,000, $50,000, $60,000, dollars worth of perfume that she has saved up. Um, <clears throat> it's very, very expensive. She... Uh, <clears throat> She pours it. Now in here, it almost seems like she pours it over his feet. But this incident is recorded in Mark. So if we take the story in Mark, it says that she broke the bottle, which is like breaking the seal. And it, it says she poured it over his head. 
And so that's a lot. That, that's, that's a lot. And I would think that if you take these together, that he's, she's probably dousing all of Jesus. We have her at his feet, which is a sign of devotion and love and attention to him um, and humility before him. Um, and John is trying to emphasize that. Uh, but if you take those accounts together, she's probably pouring this. She's anointing his, his whole head. And this is something you would do uh, to a body uh, that's, that's died. It's getting ready for burial. Um, and it's got a reddish tint to it, which I think is interesting as well. Um, if she pours it over his head, it's in his hair. It's in his clothes. Um, it's running down onto his feet. There's enough that it's running down onto his feet. She lets down her hair to dry his feet. So this is a smell that I wonder how long he's carrying with him in the week to, to come. Is it still there while he's trying to pray all night long? Is it still there when he's arrested? Is it there when he's marching into the city, which is probably in this story the next day? Um, we celebrate it next week, but it's probably the next day. And uh, Bethany's not far from Jerusalem. But this essence, this smell that he's carrying with him, I mean, does, does it go as far as him being beaten and, and the clothes tearing off, tearing, being torn off him? And this, this smell, this essence of her worship, her act of worship. So she's giving her probably one of the most precious things that she has in the house. And she pours it out for him. It's an act of worship. It's an act of devotion. And the perfume alone is a bit surprising. It's a lot surprising. But then she lets down her hair to dry his feet. And here's where the dinner gets a little awkward. It was only a woman's spouse who would see her with her hair down. That was not something you did in public. That was something that was done in private. Um, in our world, it doesn't translate. So if we're at the celebration dinner and she's got a gown on and she's going to dry his feet, this is a woman who's coming up and she's hiking up her skirt as far as she can go to get down there and dry his feet. This is someone who maybe she's bending over and the blouse is falling open. <laughs> And if you wish I would stop my illustrations, then that's probably how they felt. That's probably what they were like, oh my goodness, this is racy. This is, there's some, she let down her hair. Um, in other passages, it speaks of uh, her, her hair, a woman's hair in the ancient world being her glory. And so she gives over her glory. She gives over her reputation. It's an incredibly intimate, vulnerable, an extremely expensive moment. <laughs> and I think the phrase that says, and the fragrance filled the house, is this picture of what's going on. Everyone is noticing this. Everyone. Okay. Whether what she's doing with her hair or the perfume or everything that's poured out. It's racy. Um, <clears throat> but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, 
That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Plenty of poor in this area, in Bethany. Um, and it's the hard work of the villagers and their donations that helped to feed them and for them to live. And then John makes this note, right? He's writing this in hindsight. He didn't care about the poor. Not that he cared about the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So he says this shocking statement because there's so many poor out there. Like this could have been a year's worth of wages could go a long way, I would think, to uh, creating a better life for the poor. And it looks back to Deuteronomy 15. And in Deuteronomy 15, when Moses is giving instruction to the Israelites, he's saying um, that the poor will always be with you. And what he's saying is that you need to wrap your mind around this idea that you are to live a generous life because there will always, always be someone to take care of. And that can spark a whole conversation about poverty and uh, extravagance. Um, but that's not quite where John, I think, is taking this. What he's trying to show us is this incredibly um, abundant, over-the-top worship and devotion with abandon. And Jesus says, leave her alone. Jesus affirms it. He says, this is okay. Um, and I love that you, you don't get a sense... Um, you know, maybe Judas speaks up because he's feeling uncomfortable about the situation. Who knows? Um, but Jesus has this ability to just see the heart of a person and see her gift and appreciate it. You know, and there's times where this comes up before where John's, John the Baptist disciples come to Jesus and say, why aren't you fasting? Our disciples fast. This, you know, we fast. How come your disciples don't fast? And he says, hey, you know, when the groom's in town, you party. He didn't say that, but it was something like that. Um, paraphrase, yeah. It's not time, you know, or uh, the prodigal son, the story, the prodigal son, he comes home and the older brother's wondering about all these resources that are being spent and the father says, you, this, your brother's home and we had to celebrate. This is what we have to do. And so that's, this isn't unusual, but he recognizes that extravagant worship and builds her up. So Lazarus has this, Lazarus is beginning to look like the religious leaders, protecting himself, thinking about himself, thinking about the money that he could have gotten out of this. He's got a bit of a scarcity. You mean Judas. 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 I'm sorry. Did I say Lazarus? <laughs> Judas. Um, he's beginning to think of himself, what he can get out of this situation. He's beginning to look like the religious leaders that want to execute Jesus. Um, <clears throat> he's got the scarcity mindset, which is interesting. There's not enough to go around. And yet she pours out this whole thing and Jesus affirms all this abundant worship that's given to him. Um, <clears throat> and then Martha. Who knows? <laughs> She's very much concerned with all the practical details. Serving in the back room. Um, <clears throat> 
So who are we in this story? What do we learn about worship here? Do we feel like Judas? Do we feel like Martha? Do we feel like Mary? Maybe we feel like Jesus. You want to be able you see what people give and you want to be able to affirm that and build them up and say, no, oh, that's good. Um, Martha's so busy with the demands of life and the immediate things that come up that her name's only mentioned once in this story. And Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday come with this uh, rigid regularity, right? And the demands that whatever comes your way on a Monday or on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday. Um, And sometimes we just don't give it much thought about our worship. Things crowded out. I think of this, 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 the sower scattering seed. Right? The cares of life spring up and choke out that heart that is there to receive God's word. So maybe we're like Martha. Maybe we feel like Judas. Or, yeah, protecting our own interests under the guile <laughs> or the the guys, not guile, the guys of worship. Hey, we need to use this money for, for this is a good purpose. We really should use it for this. And the whole time, his heart is not really in it. Um, it's deceitful. Um, I'm not trying to call anyone deceitful, but we get deceitful. We, we, I probably we deceive ourselves more than anyone else. Um, but Judas is... He's trying to protect himself. Mary, Mary's a bit edgy in this story, but she's not edgy for the sake of being edgy. (laughs) She just wants to worship Jesus and give him everything that she has. Jesus' disciples in the next chapter are going to question his, (laughs) what are you doing? We don't quite, I don't, you know, Peter wants to fight. I don't believe, I don't think this. She doesn't ask questions. She just understands. She sees more than the disciples do what's going on. And her act is a prophetic act. Sometimes you read the prophets and they do things that symbolize what's going on. So you have the prophet who takes his clothes off, he's naked and he's bound and symbolizing uh, the, the nation of Israel going into exile and being prisoners. They do things. She has done something. She sees, she sees what Jesus is about to pour out for all of us and for her and for all of humanity. She sees that he's about to give every single thing he has and so she responds likewise. That's her response. And I think that's what Jesus wants. That's what God wants is this response that is with abandon, without concern, for what other people think, and following Christ, following Jesus, giving everything, even if it's embarrassing. She quietly accepts what's happening and walks with Jesus with what she has. She washes his feet. When the disciples say, there's no way you'll wash my feet, she gets it. There's this extravagant devotion um, that draws criticism. 
Does our worship draw criticism? <clears throat> and if it doesn't, we're not beating you up. We're just saying, hey, this is something to think about. I've been thinking a lot about what does pandemic look like in North Harbor moving into the world in this spot. What does worship look like? It draws the sort of criticism that she's drawing. It makes people a bit uncomfortable. It's making me awkward. This is dinner. This fragrance that fills the room. How do we fill this space with fragrance of worship? Um, <clears throat> Some people get scared of it. Yeah, it is scary. It is. And you have this beautiful picture where she's not scared. Right? Leading into Holy Week as Jesus pours himself out. Right? That's what we say when we do communion. Blood poured out for you. Body broken for you. She broke the bottle and poured it out. Um, and it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yeah, as we take communion, let's think about that. Let's think about the characters. Who do we most identify with? I, I don't identify with Mary. I don't feel like I'm there. Um, but reading this story and studying it was like, all right, well, what does that look like? What does that look like for me? What does it look like for you? And I was encouraged by it. I was very encouraged by it. The sweet-smelling fragrance that fills the room. And it's floating throughout the house. And I'm sure Martha smelled it in the back room thinking, what is she doing? What is she doing? Yeah. What is she doing? And Judas, maybe he didn't see, but he could smell it. What's going on? No one can escape what's happening what at this place. Yeah. So let's read. Let's read Isaiah. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters. Isaiah 43, 16. Making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned their lives, snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I am about to do something new. I've already begun. Do you see it? Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. I love this picture of streams in the desert. So at the beginning of this, we celebrate Lent 40 days in the wilderness. And Lent's a great time to challenge the things we thought were so precious, the things we thought we needed. Right? She pours it out. This isn't necessary. Devotion is necessary. So we're going to take communion, and we're going to celebrate the blood that is poured out for us and the body that is broken for us. And we have this picture of someone actually doing that and what it looks like. Uh, for Jesus' followers. And we'll continue to sing and lift up his name and fill this room 
with our songs, right? And our melodies. Okay, God, we thank you for this story. Um, sometimes we feel uncomfortable. Uh, I pray that this dinner party here, this celebration, makes us stop to think about the things that make us feel uneasy and why they make us feel uneasy. I pray that we'd gain a deeper appreciation of, of what you give and what you pour out and what is broken for us and our sake as we come to worship and as we go out and worship the whole week long, that the fragrance of your love, the fragrance of this bottle that was broken and poured out would continue with us throughout the whole week, that we may walk with you um, during that Passion Week through the amazing teachings, the praise, the suffering. Give us strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.